Okay, so the first reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 1 to 12. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them on their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Ephesians 2, 1-10 Made alive in Christ As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The last reading is from 
Matthew chapter 28, reading from verse 16 through to, uh, to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be here and to feel that even though I've moved very far away to Fishhook, I'm still part of the extended family of St. John's. It's really lovely to be here with all of you. <clears throat> the story of Gideon, perhaps for you, like me, it's a story that was very much part of your childhood. I grew up in a Christian home, my parents were planting a church, and we used to have Sunday school with those little cut-out pictures of people that were put on felt boards. We had the big picture Bible that had um, the artist's impression of the heroes of the faith. We would make little models of Bible stories, and Gideon was one that used to capture my imagination. I think because of the number of elements in his story, the one of being called a mighty warrior while he was hiding in the wine press, the other, you know, how he laid out a fleece. And even as I got older, I used to think, is that a good way to make decisions? Can I lay out a fleece? Um, you know, and then the story about how he reduced his, and God's command reduced his army to 300 that went against the Midianites and that point that some of them didn't kneel down but they scooped the water up and I used to think in my youth would I have been one of those who would have made the right choice and scooped up the water and then been chosen it didn't occur to me at the time that I was a girl and therefore wouldn't have been chosen anyway but that's another story anyway the story of Gideon <clears throat> what we want to look at today is what the story of Gideon can tell us about how God gives callings to us in our lives. How does God work with us in this aspect of calling, um, where he calls us into action in the world, for the world he loves so much, and for which he is seeking holistic redemption through his kingdom come. I think, yeah, before I go into the story of Gideon, I sometimes struggle a bit with some of the Old Testament stories. I find them horribly violent. And of course, it was another era, another culture. But we know our world today is still horribly violent. Um, so quite often for me, I find it helpful to root myself in some New Testament te uh, scriptures and then approach the Old Testament. And that's why we had the reading from Ephesians today. So that when we come to 
the question of calling, we are rooting ourselves very much in the new covenant and in the presence of Jesus and his spirit. And so Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork. We are his masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he called for us, which he prepared for us in advance to do. And of course, this verse applies to us individually, but it also applies to us collectively, collectively as the body of Christ and collectively as St. John's congregation. So before going into the story of Gideon, I just wanted to share a few positioning thoughts on this concept of understanding God's calling. Theologians have sort of categorized it in two areas, one being a general calling that is applicable to all Christians, and sitting within that are specific callings that are given to us individually, perhaps as a family, but certainly as a congregation, and the two of those work together. So what would be this general calling, which is the calling of all of us who have decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Firstly, we are called to be the people of God. The Old Testament, this call was given to Israel for them to be set apart from other nations, witnessing to the nature of God in a loving, worshipful relationship according to God's commands. In the New Testament and after Pentecost, of course, this becomes the church. We are now the people of God where there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. And the call of the people of God is given to the church, the ecclesia, the called out or summoned ones. And that's underscored by this beautiful scripture in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. And as I'm reading this, think of, think of yourselves as St. John's congregation. But you are a chosen people, St. John's, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The second part of a general calling is a calling to ethical living by walking in the way of the Lord walking in the way of the Lord. We are all called to ethical living. Um, God told Abraham that he and his descendants should keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. It's this ethical, compassionate theme that runs throughout the Bible and um, is the source of God's mission, God's compassion. And thirdly, we're called to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. We see that in the call of Abraham in Genesis, whereby we are not called for our own sake. We are called in order to be channels of blessing for the whole world. That is the three aspects of general calling, we could say, that we all have as Christians. Within that, God gives us specific callings based on the times in which we're living, based on our demographics, how old we are, how young we are, male, female, ethnicity, all sorts of things. God works those things together to give us specific callings as individuals, I believe, but also, very importantly, possibly more importantly, he calls us together into congregations, into missional communities, that he then gives us specific callings where we are to missionally encounter the world, 
from this place of being a missional community. So with that brief introduction to this concept of calling, which is something which I think many of us hold to um, as, as part of our faith practice, let us look at the story of Gideon and see what we can learn about how God works callings through our lives, through what he says with Gideon. Now this covers the chapters 6 to 8 in Judges. We didn't want to read the whole lot um, in the service. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story or else you can read it afterwards. So some of the points I'll be raising were not covered in this morning's scripture. So first the setting. It's a setting of terror. It's probably a setting of famine. It's a setting of uncertainty where Gideon is trying to survive and thresh out the wheat. It's a setting like you would find today if you went to northwest Nigeria or northeast Nigeria. It's a sort of setting you would find if you went to South Sudan or Burkina Faso. It's not a setting that's historically bound. It's a setting we still live in, and this is some people still live in, and Gideon was in that context threshing the wheat. He did not expect to meet with God or God's representative. He did not expect that. He was interrupted. God appeared and said, mighty warrior. So the first learning we can have about God's calling of us through this passage is that you must expect to be interrupted by God sometimes. He will interrupt us. The second point is God's calling comes with the assurance that he is with us. That's the first thing he does. These are the first words Gideon hears. He says, the Lord is with you. Everything else that follows from that point on flows from that statement. In fact, in many places in the Bible, when people are facing difficult callings, the assurance is just this, that God is with them. We don't get many assurances when God gives us a call, but we always get that one. And we see it in the Matthew passage that was read. He's saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. So the learning, when God calls us, we can know that God will be with us. Next point that we can learn about calling through this passage. In calling us, God often gives us some sense of a new identity, but one we must still walk and live into. The Lord calls Gideon, this young, afraid, angry youth, he calls him mighty warrior. At that moment, threshing the wheat in the wine press, Gideon didn't look or feel like a mighty warrior. But he's addressed according to his potential, what he will become through this calling. So the learning here is that a calling will often come with a new identity. For me, it came with a new vocation. I was in the IT field. I then moved into the development sector. I have a different identity. Um, a calling will come often with a new identity that we must still grow into. And the danger here is twofold. The one is that we think the minute we called, we have achieved it, that we it. The other is that we think it's impossible and we just operate in disbelief and we never get there. No, it's a process. You're not there yet, but you must get there. Another point we can pick up from this passage about God's calling is that God's calling will often align with our complaint, with the things that unsettle us and the things that we are unhappy with. 
So if you want to know something about your calling, listen to yourself and the things that you complain about. The story of Gideon, um, in verse 13, we see the first thing that Gideon does in response to God is complain. It's not like, wow, God, I'm going to be a mighty warrior, let's go. It's no, it's like, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why have all these things happened to us? He's an angry young man, Gideon. He's not interested in being a mighty warrior for a God he's angry with. He says, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. We see in this conversation, though, that God does not mind our complaints. He's not put off by them. He is somehow inclined to ignore them, though, I find, from my own experience. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of, yeah, he's not like a paid therapist who sits there and just has to listen all the time. He kind of ignores me a bit, but um, he, he comes back and he says to Gideon, go. He says, yeah, okay, I've heard your complaints, but now go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And there you have that sort of holy pause. When God calls us, he also sends us. You know, he's a, he sends us. He calls us and sends us. So the learning, your complaint, your sense of injustice and anger may be a signpost to your calling. Is there something that's disturbing you at present that's causing you perhaps to doubt God? Is this an area where your calling sits perhaps? Another thing that comes through in this passage, it's, it's something which I've found quite reassuring over the years, is that God calls the weak to shame the strong. <clears throat> in chapter 6.15, we read that Gideon was an unlikely choice as a mighty warrior. His clan or extended family was the weakest one. He was the least, probably that means the youngest in his family. He wasn't the obvious person to choose to be a mighty warrior. But this, of course, is the way God often works, not so. There are people who are the wrong age, quote-unquote. We can think of Mary and David. They were young. Mary, mother of Jesus, a young teenage girl. David, the youngest son in his father's family, mother's family. We can think of people who, in the world's terms, would be considered too old. We think of Abraham and Sarah giving birth to Isaac and starting the whole uh, mission of God. We think of people who were in the wrong profession. We can think of Rahab who worked in the industry of prostitution. The wrong profession gets called to come to God's mission. People of the wrong gender. We can think of the Judge Deborah who you can read about in Judges 5. Didn't fit the mold. Many other wrongs that we can see God calls into being. And this verse in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. What reassurance I find in that passage. So the learning is our circumstances that might seem limiting in the eyes of the world and potentially in our own eyes or the eyes of other people are often what recommend us to God as those he wants to call into his kingdom-extending mission. Another learning about God's calling in this passage of Gideon is that God's calling is often something that we will initially resist. We doubt ourselves, we may feel fearful, and we tell God all the reasons why he has got it wrong. In verse 15, we see that Gideon's response to God is, but how can I? Dot, dot, dot. So the learning for me in this is that there is a time of wrestling and resisting and even saying no, God. Rather than changing the calling, though, God gives us the assurance, I will be with you, and you will, dot, dot, dot. Another thing that we can learn from the passage, the story of Gideon, wasn't covered in what we read today, but it's in the subsequent verses, is that God allows us a discernment process regarding the calling we have received. In verse 17, Gideon says, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. Does that sound familiar? How many of us haven't asked God for signs over the years about should I do this, should I do that? I'm not sure how how good a theology that is, but um, I think we can draw assurance from the fact that as we are now in the new covenant and Jesus has been born, died, resurrected, and gone to heaven and we have received the Holy Spirit, we've also received scripture. We also have the body of Christ. We have more than enough tools and methods for discerning which... Gideon didn't have at his disposal, and perhaps that's why he turned to the fleece and other, other means. So God allows us to discern. He gives us time, and we are wise if we discern through the methods of the body of Christ, through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, whether or not this call is actually from God. Before Between the call and the activation of the call, there's quite often a period of preparation and purification before the call is activated. So we see this in Gideon's life, also later on in chapter 6. Before Gideon is able to defeat the Midianites, he needed to destroy some of the idols and false gods in his life. I mean, that was the reason why the nation was in such a pickle was because they had followed false gods and God had given them over to the Midianites. So if Gideon was to defeat the Midianites, he had to overturn some of these idols. And we see that he destroys the temple, to uh, the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole, which made people very angry with him. So the learning here is that We don't often step directly from hearing the call to living the call. There's usually a period of preparation and purification. And we see that even in the life of Jesus. 
After his baptism, he's called into the desert, 40 days in the wilderness, temptation, etc. We see it with Paul after his Damascus experience. He goes into the desert, I think it was three years, I'm not sure, period of time where he's to learn and be transformed from being that person who persecuted the church to being the person who built the church up. Another learning is that God's call will be opposed by others, particularly those unsettled by it. Destroying Baal's altar and the Asherah pole made people furious. These were their pet idols. They said to Gideon's father, bring out your son, he must die for doing this. So the learning we get from Gideon is that we should expect opposition when you start to walk in your calling. We see it even with Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters, how they went to him when he was at the start of his ministry and tried to get him away from it, and he said no. Another learning is that after the preparation and the purification comes the anointing and the infilling of the Spirit. We see in verse 34 that after Gideon had destroyed these idols, after the purification, the preparation, it says, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. And this just before he went into battle. I think we also find that, that God is a just-in-time God. <laughs> I see some of you laughing, probably from experience of this. It's like, well, God, if you don't show up, this is really going to go bad. Um, been there a few times. Okay. Um, you know, Ephesians 3.20 says, to, uh, says uh, in this regard, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That's, that's how we walk into this calling. <clears throat> God's call will be something you cannot do in your own strength. Be assured of that. When God went against the Midianites, it was with a sorry, when Gideon went against the Midianites, it was with a greatly reduced army. Jesus said to his disciples, "You feed them with this few loaves and fish." He said to Moses, "You part the waters." So the learning is we never fulfill our callings in our own strength, only with and in the Lord, because he gives us things to do that are impossible for us, individually and as a community. We see this a little bit in Gideon, how we can also lose or fail to accept the calling that the Lord gave us. After Gideon had been through all the process of defeating the Midianites, he then made a gold sort of chest plate or ephod thing for himself, and he also started, um, it seems that he started bringing back some of the idle practices or alignment. And although he was okay till the end of his life, his children, his legacy was a very bad one, we see. So we shouldn't rest on our laurels in terms of a calling. It is something which needs to be kept alive and active. I think just the final point I want to make on calling, it's not one that you see so much in Gideon, but I've seen it, um, you see it in the Bible, I've seen it in my own life, in the lives of other people, is that calls tend to work in cycles throughout our life and the life of our communities. You see, for example, 
the disciples that Jesus called. If you think of, um, for example, Peter, uh, James and John at the lake, Jesus says to them, come, follow me. He says to Matthew at the tax collector's table, come, follow me. At the end, in chapter uh, of, at the end of Matthew, we see Jesus giving a new calling. It's not, yes, you are still following me, but now also go and make disciples of all nations. So it's like a spiraling up of the, um, of the calling. So we don't get stuck in one calling that goes round and round. There tends to be a spiral where the one sort of feeds on the next and goes around. So I would say in that regard, be ready to move from one calling into the next. Don't get stuck in a circle going round and round, a safe circle, a familiar circle. Don't be stuck today in yesterday's calling. God's mission is one of ongoing growth and expansion and reach as we seek his kingdom come. So a few points of reflection in closing. And I'd, I'd like these points for you to take them individually, but also collectively as a congregation. The first is to reflect on ways in which you are already responding to God's call. His general call as given to all Christians and his specific call given to you or to this congregation. The ways in which you are being salt and light perhaps through a commitment to intercessory prayer, to being a kind and generous neighbor, to being a person of peace in your place of work or study, serving your family or community in some way, possibly involved in some social transformation organization or movement, standing for justice when you see injustice, telling people about Jesus and his saving grace, many different ways in which you will already be fulfilling your callings. The Lord knows and sees and says, well done, I am with you. Second point for reflection. Is there something that the Lord is calling you to? Perhaps a new thing or a new cycle of an older thing? Is there something he's calling St. John's to as a missional community? Perhaps you don't know, but you're feeling unsettled. Coming out of COVID, we see worldwide there's a sense of dis-ease amongst God's people, a sense of reforming and reshaping. It's not the moment to try and get comfortable with the old ways. It's a time to sit in the discomfort and let that lead you into the new ways and the new calling. Perhaps... You need to commit to a season of discernment and listening to God, those ways we mentioned of reading scripture, praying, waiting on the Holy Spirit, discerning as a Christian community. And carefully choose trusted companions to take this journey of discernment and listening with you. Another possible application is that perhaps you know that God is calling you to something, but you're resisting. You're saying, no, God. Or you're delaying. You're saying, tomorrow. And what are the reasons for this? Is this something you need to be pushing into? 
Perhaps there are things you need to let go of before you can walk into that calling. Perhaps there are relationships that no longer serve the call that you're called to. Perhaps there are old patterns of behavior, laziness, procrastination, we're all human, fear of change, lack of faith. What are the things that might be preventing us individually and collectively moving through? And finally, who is God calling you to share this calling with? I don't believe God calls us ever to, into a calling on our own because we, not, we have such an individualistic view sometimes, I think, uh, particularly with a Western worldview, but we are called into community. We exist because other people exist and with other people. So who are those people who you will be journeying with into this new season of calling? I'd like to begin where we started today, which is in Hebrews. After naming many of the people who did great things because of their faith, because of their confidence in what they hoped for and assurance about what they did not see, the writer of the Hebrews urges us to pursue our callings with great commitment, sacrifice, focus, energy, always seeking to follow Jesus. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, after recounting all these heroes of the faith, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you, so that we, will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.